0: You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk. So good morning, everybody. Uh, let me have my welcome to that of Pete and Alan. Uh, my name's John, as uh, introduced earlier. I've uh, been part of City Church for a very long time now. We've been working through the Psalms of Ascent so far this term, and uh, we're gonna be continuing doing that this morning in our series, The Way Up. So you might remember these 15 Psalms of Ascent are found in the Old Testament uh, from Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, and a lot of our scholars, uh, biblical scholars believe that these are Psalms that were used uh, amongst Jewish pilgrims going up to the the three major feasts in Jerusalem each year as uh, songs they would sing along the route. Uh, so as they would go up to Jerusalem and up to the temple mount, they would sing these songs, hence these songs of ascent. And I like to imagine these as sort of songs that might kind of bind the people of God together in, uh, through sort of a common tradition and a common language of worship. And maybe a bit like a kind of a Christmas carol, those things that come out at certain times of the year and everybody knows the words and everyone can sing them together and everyone recognizes them. Uh, but obviously they've made the canon of scripture. So maybe far more important and significant than our Christmas carols. Um, if you wouldn't mind this morning, I uh, would just like to, uh, if you could indulge me for a minute, I just wanted to update you a little bit on what's been happening in our family since I last preached, which was back in April. So, uh, we ten days ago, we moved into our new house in Acombe which was uh, very exciting. According to one website I found, that is the seventh most stressful life event that you can go through, so uh, I'm glad I've not been through the top six recently, but uh, Michael, our son, started a new school in Leeds, so uh, our 14-year-old is now commuting on his own every day on the trains and buses uh, to Leeds and mostly managing it and enjoying uh, the, the, the train system. So, uh, Lorena, my wife, has been uh, very involved, uh, she's a chair of trustees for a local charity and has been setting up a new coffee shop in the Groves, uh, which has been very exciting. So, if you like coffee or cake or chocolate or, and supporting the disadvantaged and helping uh, young offenders get back up and on their feet and integrate back into society, then I can highly recommend a visit to Chocolate & Co. in the Groves. And then, uh, my work situation has been uh, rapidly changing this year, so for the first time in 10 years, I have a new boss, uh, which has been very exciting, and at the same time, my leadership responsibilities have been uh, growing throughout the year, and actually, from the start of this month, there's been a quite specific and significant increase uh, in what I've taken on. So, do you ever feel like your life has overtaken you, and you're a little out of your depth? So, we all go through intense periods from time to time, right? Uh, Sometimes it's our own making, sometimes it just happens to us. I'm certain many of you here today are facing various life challenges and they might be different to mine, different to ours. Uh, Some of you will be coping just fine. Some others of you may be feeling very much out of your depth. And when you're already in deep waters, it doesn't take very much before you realize you're at risk of sinking. So just indulge me for a few more minutes because there's a little bit more to add to what's been going on. So, leading and consolidating a business through tough trading conditions this year has meant that there are significant pressures, and at times I'm quite literally holding people's jobs in my hands. There's a weightiness that comes with that. Uh, This week, my work took me abroad for four days. I got back through the door at 2 a.m. yesterday morning thanks to flooding on the A1. Uh, There's a personal commitment to family and friends that's been more intense in recent months. There's my involvement as a trustee here at York City Church, and of course, in between all of that, I've been preparing for today's preach, which, whilst one of the greatest uh, joys and privileges in my life, does take a fair amount of hours in what's already a busy schedule. When life overtakes us, when the currents have taken us out into the deep, when keeping your head above water is taking up all your strength, when you've reached the very end of your capacity, There is something that believers and many non believers do too. Something that feels almost hardwired into who we are as humans. From the deep water, I cry out to you, O God. That's the opening line of our psalm today, Psalm 130. From the deep water, I cry out to you, O Lord. O Lord, listen to me, pay attention to my plea for mercy. You can hear the cry of desperation coming from the psalmist in these couple of lines there's a burden here that needs relieving and that intensity comes across in our english translation but the original hebrew maybe brings it out even more clearly if you look carefully at the use of the word lord you'll be able to see it too so in that first verse verse one the hebrew word for lord is yahweh that's the name of God as revealed to Moses it's synonymous synonymous with God as redeemer In the second verse the psalmist uses Adonai instead so notice the change of capitalization for Lord and Lord keep an eye out for that throughout this psalm but Adonai is God as master God is sovereign there's a sense for me of submission to God of pleading with God seeking every attribute of God's character for some kind of rescue. This recognition that God not only has a redemptive nature, but that he is all-powerful and able to redeem. Now some years ago, when my son was about a year old, we drove over to Dublin to go and visit my sister over the Easter weekend. And after lunch on Easter Sunday, we set off towards Galway on the west coast where we planned to spend a couple of nights. Beautiful April day, about 20 degrees outside. Uh, The sun was shining, first time ever in Ireland. And uh, we had this brand new double lane motorway to take us to our destination. Uh, It had just been open a few days, in fact, this motorway. And as we sort of zipped along this fantastic new surface, there were two things that struck me. First of all, there was barely another car in sight. And second of all, there didn't seem to be any exits. Once you'd committed to going to Galway, you were going to Galway. And about 20 kilometers or so short of Galway, I think that's about 15 miles in, in our money, uh, we finally passed an exit for a small town and about two kilometers later, just as another exit was coming up, there was that telltale shudder in the car that tells you you've got a puncture. And so we pulled over to the side of the road and I leapt into action because uh, it's not the first time I've done this. I know how to change a tire and so I fully unload our packed boot, all of our suitcases are now on the side of the road, and I take out the tools, and I take out the spare tire, and I jack up the car, and at that point, I realize there's a problem. Because you know that special nut that wheels have to prevent theft? I have no device to remove it. There is no way for me to change this tire. So now I'm stuck at the side of the quietest motorway in the world, between its only two exits, in a foreign country, on a bank holiday, surrounded by a pile of luggage, and two grown women, unimpressed with my mechanical prowess, a restless one-year-old, and no idea what to do next. (laughs) At least it was dry. (laughs) And I can't even remember if I've got breakdown cover, and even if I did, I have no idea if it covers me in Ireland. And if it doesn't, I have no idea who to call. And if I did, rescue is not going to be cheap today. From the deep water, I cry out to you, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, listen to me. Pay attention to my plea for mercy. That's what we do, isn't it? We find ourselves in some sort of a bind, a crisis, an emergency, and we cry out to God for mercy. When our lived experience has grown beyond our ability to cope, oh Lord, listen to me. Crisis has cropped up. Pay attention to my plea for mercy. I've been a little bit naughty here this morning already with my interpretation of the Scripture. I've led you all down the garden path a little bit. I apologize. In fact, if you've read ahead, I imagine you may be quite concerned at this point that my interpretation is way off track. (laughs) See, it's really easy to come to Scripture with our own kind of priorities and concerns and life issues, and miss what Scripture is actually saying to us. It would be easy to read the first two verses, stop there, find some encouragement, take that away, maybe even encouragement that's in line with the general thrust of Scripture, and miss a great truth. And there's a lesson here in how we read Scripture whether we snatch at snippets of the text to try and apply them to ourselves, or whether we look at the bigger picture of a passage or a book. Uh, whatever it might be, and uh, find what God is truly saying to us. This isn't a generic cry for help from the author because of their stressful life, or some sort of arrow prayer shot out because they're in a crisis situation, stuck on the side of the motorway, but they do have something very specific in mind. So what are these deep waters that the psalmist is talking about? What is this life-threatening danger That causes him to cry out to Yahweh, to plead with Adonai for mercy. We get a hint in verse 3 If you, O Lord, were to keep track of sins, O Lord, who could stand before you? The psalmist has the sober measure of their position before God Almighty. They're a sinner and they've felt the weightiness of their guilt before a just and holy God. Lord, if you mark our transgressions, who could stand? The life-threatening danger that is first and foremost in their mind is the sin that prevents them from standing before a holy and just God. It is so easy to fall for the misplaced belief the biggest danger present in our lives is an unexpected motorway breakdown or a set of life circumstances that have got away from us. No, no, no. The greatest, biggest danger we face, the danger above all other dangers, the darkest, deepest, and most turbulent waters that we can face, the most deadly waters that we can face, is the sin that prevents us from standing before The Lord, were your life to be great in every way, a lovely family, money in the bank, close and reliable friendships, well-behaved children, a job that you love, no death or sickness anywhere near you, you would still be head over heels, over your head in deep, dark waters from which you have no hope of escape because of the sin that clings so closely To us all. But our psalmist also knows that there is hope for us. Verse 4 Do you are willing to forgive so that you might be honored. Even in the watery chaos of sin, amid the greatest peril to their life, the psalmist has hope here because they know that God is willing to forgive. That's why they cry out to Yahweh. That's why they plead for mercy with Adonai. Out of the deep waters of iniquity, God represents a rescue ship actively present to bring about forgiveness. There's no question here of capability. Adonai is the sovereign master. Of course he can forgive sin. There's no obligation, though. It's not like there's some formula where, you know, if the psalmist does X, then God has to do Y. There's no trick or a way to persuade God into an act of forgiveness. But he is willing to forgive for his own honor. When God forgives, it results in reverence towards him. It is always the one who redeems who receives the honor and glory and praise, not the one who's redeemed. And the greater the redemption price paid, the greater the honor received. if you can't influence God what guarantee is there that he will forgive we're going to find some of the answers in the latter half of the psalm there's now a subtle change of sort of tempo a transition in the psalm you might have noticed that verses one to four are spoken to God this sort of cry of desperate desperation driven by this realization of their their, their position their own sinfulness the next couple of verses are not spoken to God they're spoken about God And so the psalmist has moved from prayer and petition to reflection about God and what their response is to the deep waters of sin that they find themselves in that threaten their life. Verse 5, I rely on the Lord. I rely on Him with my whole being. I wait for His assuring word. A response of wholehearted reliance on Yahweh. When realizing your position before God, it is the only Response that you can give. Psalmist has named sin as this mortal danger in their prayer, reminded sovereign God, the Redeemer, of his willingness to forgive. Then they've placed their full trust in Yahweh, seeking after him wholeheartedly. It's this response rooted knowing in knowing the need for the Lord's redemption and this confidence in God's word. Only God can forgive, but we must wait for him. It's not waiting in vain. The sinner can rest in the promises of his word. It's more than just trust, though. This is trust accompanied by a deep yearning. Verse 6, I yearn for the Lord more than watchmen do for the morning. Yes, more than watchmen do for the morning. I always think something to look out for in Scripture is repetition. If someone says something twice, it means they want to emphasize it. If someone says something twice, it means they want to emphasize it. Yes, more than watchmen for the morning. For a watchman of the city keeping an eye out for danger, it can feel like morning is never going to come. The watchman has no option. They have to stay awake. The thing the watchman wants in more than anything else in the whole world is morning. That's when the time of danger is over. That's when he will find rest. And yet however long it takes for morning to come, the watchman never loses confidence that morning will come. The horizon will brighten, the sun will rise, morning will come. It is an absolute certainty. For the man of, woman of faith who has their position before God and trusts in him fully for forgiveness, that forgiveness will most certainly come just like morning will most certainly follow night. The psalmist isn't responding with some kind of fatalistic hope that by trusting in God something might happen. It's not a transactional arrangement. Reliance and yearning is a response rooted in faith, a response that comes from knowing and having a sound understanding of God and His forgiveness. Many commentators agree these psalms are likely sung by pilgrims on their way up to the great Jewish feasts, and some have suggested that the particular songs of ascent were designated for certain specific agreed feast days. And if that's the case, then this psalm might have been the hymn of choice for the Day of Atonement. Now the Day of Atonement, uh, Yom Kippur, as you might know it in, in modern parlance, is that Jewish feast where the nation would acknowledge their sins before God and seek His forgiveness. And once a year, the high priest would go uh, into the temple, into the temple sanctuary with two goats. One of those goats would be uh, sacrificed on the altar as a sin offering. uh, And one of those goats would then be uh, banished into the wilderness as a symbol that the sins of the nation had been banished far from them, had been taken away from them. Uh, We might know it as a scapegoat. It's the uh, uh, sort of uh, original sense of that. And this was a sign that sins had been completely removed from Israel now we obviously don't have a situation where we uh, take two goats into the sanctuary of a temple choose one of them by lot and uh, decide what happens next we've got a slightly different way of thinking about that because the New Testament teaches us in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10 uh, starting from verse 10 that we have been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all and every, high, every priest stands day after day serving and offering the same sacrifices again and again, sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. The forgiveness offered in the day of atonement could never fully remove sin from the Jewish people. That's why when the book of Leviticus sets out all of the procedure for the day, including casting lots and scapegoats and all of that, it's commanded to be enacted as a lasting ordinance. That means forever, for as long as it was needed, in the Jewish minds for all eternity. Except, then Jesus came along, and instead of a goat being sacrificed once a year for sins, he offered himself as a sacrifice, a once for all sacrifice. That means no further sacrifice is needed. He sat down at the right hand of God, job done. With Jesus' sacrifice, there is no annual, symbolic removal of sins via a scapegoat. In fact, verse 14 of Hebrews 10 tells us that by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are made holy. For ancient Israel, the Day of Atonement wasn't something that sort of happened behind the scenes conducted by the priests. There was no kind of, you know, FYI email dropping around to everyone saying, oh, by the way, your sins have been forgiven for another year. It was a solemn event. The whole nation was to participate. It was like a, a Sabbath above all Sabbaths, a Sabbath of complete rest. for The whole country, whether you were a native Jewish citizen or a foreigner, you rested on that day. It was a work of humbling yourselves That would mean fasting, it would mean going barefoot, it would mean abstaining from sex, it would mean not bathing, it would mean not putting moisturizing cream on. All of those things, this sort of humbling of ourselves. There's an element of participation from everyone. Forgiveness of God is given freely, but to receive it, you have to embrace it, you have to participate in it. You know, when we recognize our own sinful state, when we place our trust in Jesus God rescues us from the depths of our iniquities and we can draw near to him but we have to participate it doesn't just happen so continuing with our psalm there's another subtle transition the first four verses if you remember were a prayer to God a cry for help the next two are spoken about God and the last couple of verses the psalmist addresses the people of God O Israel Hope in the Lord, for the Lord exhibits loyal love and is more than willing to deliver. He will deliver Israel from all the consequences of their sins. The psalmist calls the whole community of Israel to enter into their experience of divine forgiveness. They've got a testimony to share. Can we do that this morning? Have you experienced the forgiveness of God in your life? if not what are you waiting for do you genuinely think there is something else someone else that can save you from drowning another word for deliver in verse 8 would be to redeem it means to purchase something back to oneself at a significant price that's exactly what God has done. Paid the redemption price through His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to buy us back from the deep waters of our sins. So stop wasting time. Reach out to Him. It's not just about forgiveness. It's so much more than that. It's lost maybe in our, in our, our, our um, translations, our English translations. It's forgiveness of sin. It's extinguishing the guilt of sin. It's complete removal of the consequences of sin. It is so much more why would you not put your trust in him the biggest challenge in the life of any person in on this planet is the challenge of sin does that mean if i'm having a really tough time in my life i shouldn't cry out to god for help does it mean that when i'm stuck on the side of the road i should just let fate run its course Stood on the verge of that Irish motorway, not having a clue what to do next, Lorena, my wife, popped over and embraced me and prayed a prayer that was very much along the lines of, Help, God, help. It's been very much our theme for this series. And then my sister popped over and asked her if she had any idea about who we might call to come and rescue us, like a real-life version of Al's Who are You are Gonna Call game from the start of the series. Some of you might remember that. And she said she knew one person in Galway. And she would give them a call and see if they could point us in the right direction. And she she phoned this acquaintance uh, that I think she barely knew. And uh, we stood on the side of the motorway and the conversation went something like this. Uh, I don't know who you could call, uh, but my brother is a mechanic. And actually I'm with him right now, maybe he could give you some advice. Okay, so all you need is that special note. Well, he's actually got his work van with him today, and uh, all his tools in the back, he might actually have what you need. Although I'm not sure if we can get them to you because we're, we're actually not in Galway right now. We're um, busy traveling to see some friends this evening, and so where did you say you were again? Oh, actually, would you believe it? We're on that exact same motorway, <laughs> although we're headed in the opposite direction, and there's no exits, so I'm not sure if we'll be able to get to your side of the road that easily, because uh, we might have already passed you. Oh, Right, you between those two off ramps. Well, we'll be getting to you in less than five minutes. We can just loop around. From the deep water, I cry out to you, O oh Lord. And God sent a professional mechanic with the right tools to our exact position on a public holiday in a hard to reach spot in a foreign country, completely free of charge. And within 20 minutes, we were back on our journey. It's a lovely story, and we still draw encouragement from it, and hopefully you do too. But did we really need God to intervene? The honest truth is that no, we didn't. I would have rung around a few places, I would have spent a few euros, we would have waited by the side of the road a bit longer, but we would have been fine in the end. I could have done it myself. And as brilliantly convenient as it might be, I don't actually need God to be my own personal concierge. And that's not to say that we shouldn't cry out to him and trust for a response, and we should. That's not to say that he doesn't delight in surprising us with miraculous provision in times of need, and he does. But if your relationship with Yahweh the Redeemer, with Adonai the Sovereign, extends as far as him being a benevolent alternative to the RAC, at some point you're going to be disappointed. So what about when we're having a tough time of it all? Well, we're into our new house now and a lot of our unpacking is done. And Michael settled into his new school nicely and he's managing fine with the unreliable trains. And the cafe is up and running and it's doing well. And after a transition period, my work diary will settle down and into a new norm. I've been there before. Trading will improve. It'll be fine. The honest truth is I don't need God to get through all of that. There's a good chance I can handle it on my own. Often when life is tough, it stops being tough simply because time passes. Would I like God to step in and make it easier? Of course I would. However, my experience has been that God doesn't, hasn't always been in the habit of taking away difficult things from me. If anything, he seems to encourage life circumstances that will challenge and grow my character whilst he remains a constant source of strength and encouragement throughout those difficult times. Do I call out to him? Of course I do. Should I call out to him? Of course I should. So should you. But if your relationship with Yahweh, the Redeemer, with Adonai, the Sovereign Master, extends only as far as him being your therapist and best friend, at some point, you are going to be disappointed. We can easily fall into this trap of thinking that we need God for certain things that we don't genuinely need him for, whilst forgetting the one thing that we absolutely need him for a psalm like this read properly reminds us that the deepest waters we can ever be in are the deep waters of our own sin and those waters are impossible to get out of on your own if you're going to cry out to God for anything let it first and foremost be to redeem you from your iniquities Good news is that you can place your trust in Jesus who offered himself as a sacrifice once for all. And then like the, loyal, like the psalmist, let us proclaim the loyal love of God and his loving kindness to the whole community. Let us revel in the fact that we are not just forgiven, but our sins have been cast aside, the stain of sin removed, the guilt of sin removed, and the consequences of sin removed forever.